we're going to go ahead and get into this. How about how many babies we've had here recently? And we still got more buns in the oven. Yeah. Yeah, you can give a hand clap for that. I don't even know how many there are at this point. I, you know, when everybody, when all the government uh, folks were doing mandates, I tried my hand at a mandate here in the church. I tried to mandate marital celibacy there for a while so we quit having so many babies, but it didn't work. They just keep going. I'm joking, by the way. Uh, somebody looked at me like, oh my gosh, that was frightening. <laughs> Y'all ain't... All right, I'm going to move on into the Word this morning. All right, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. I'm going to speak a message on destroying strongholds. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy or cast down arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's pray together real quick. Father, we're just grateful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for what you're doing in our church, in our family. God, we're thankful for all these, these children, these, these babies that you've given us, Lord, because they are just blessings from you, Lord, and it's our responsibility to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And Lord, we're thankful for even the people that would serve in ministry, because ministry, Lord God, as we come together as your body, it covers a, a broad variety of ways in which that takes place to make disciples, to raise people up, God, so that we could know you. And Lord, one of the ways that we come to know you is through your word. So this morning, Lord, I ask that you would come with the power of your Holy Spirit to anoint your word and God to use it as a sharp two-edged sword. Lord, to, to pierce even to the dividing asunder of the spirit, the soul, the joint, and the marrow, God, and that you would set people free by it this morning, God. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul opens up this conversation about strongholds and, and what strongholds are. And, and here's, here's the thing. I, many of you may know what a stronghold is. Some of you may not. It's kind of like it's become Christian jargon that maybe many don't understand. But the fact of the matter is, when you read through the book of First and Second Corinthians and Paul is dealing with this church in particular, what you find out is they got some messy lives. And I don't know about you, but pretty much all of us at some point or another, even maybe while we're right in the middle of serving the Lord at our height, we still got some messy lives. The only difference between Christians and non-Christians outside of the church is that Christians have a little bit of some divine sweepage where the Lord comes in and helps us clean some stuff up. Amen. You know, it's much easier for Christian people to look out at the world and preach against the world and say, man, the world's in terrible shape and everybody's in awful shape. What's far more difficult is for Christian people to look internally and view their own strongholds in their life and their own sins in their life and bring those to the Lord before they actually accuse the world of being in terrible shape. Because the fact of the matter is we're all a mess and we all need the Lord to move in our lives. But see what the Bible teaches from the very beginning, from the outset, when Satan comes and he begins to work his evil in the world, what he doesn't use is a physical weapon. At that point, he doesn't use a sword. He doesn't go up and try to kill Adam and Eve. What he uses is an idea. What he uses is a lie. 
What he uses are false arguments that exalt themselves against what God has said in their lives. And he causes them to believe those lies in their life that begin to set up strongholds in their life. Now, we all have things in our lives that we would rather just hide, wouldn't we? You guys, you guys got some things in your life that you just rather just tuck away. I don't want to bring that out. I'd rather nobody know about that aspect of my life, that part of my life. I would rather just hide that. But see, he's trying to get them to deal with their issues head on. If you read in First and Second Corinthians, they are a church that the power of God moves among them. You got people in there, they're seeing miracles, they're having prophetic words, but even when the Spirit moves among them, they, act, they get a little bit wild sometimes. They're just a wild bunch of hooligans. And you got it, you got it to where there's one man that's actually having a, a, an improper sexual relationship with his, with his stepmother. And there's all these things going on that they need to address. There's division among them. There is spiritual pride among them. There's drunkenness among them. They meet together and take the Lord's Supper and some might be over in the corner getting drunk, just having all the wine to himself. You know what I'm talking about? Like they had some issues going on. And when we think about strongholds, those are the things that we often think about. We think about drug addiction. We think about alcohol. We think about sexual uh, relationships that are inappropriate and improper. But he says, no, that's actually the fruit of the stronghold. The root of the stronghold is actually what is taking place in your mind. In other words, he's saying the stronghold is not your lust. The stronghold is the fact that you've got a mindset that thinks it's okay and a good thing to objectify another person for your own sexual desire. He says it begins in the mind. This is where the war begins. This is where strongholds are set up. Before you ever act and you ever have habitual cycles of behavior that are destructive in your life, you have a thought, you have an idea, which leads to a mindset that enslaves you to the lusts and desires of the flesh. And see, this is why he says specifically that in verse 5, we destroy arguments. The word there in another translation is literally you pull down or you cast down arguments. The Greek word for arguments is logismos, and it's a very unique word because it can mean imaginations. It can have to do with thoughts. It can be logic or reasoning. And he says there are arguments in our mind that come and they begin to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God because he says we pull down these arguments, but also we pull down and we cast down and we destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. How many lofty opinions right now on Facebook, on social media, or on, in media itself, in our universities, in our school systems, in our public educational systems for our children are actually ideas and lofty opinions that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God that we find in Scripture? Would you agree with that? There's many, many of them. And he's saying if you want to do spiritual warfare, the greatest way for you to do spiritual warfare is not to yell at demons in the sky. The greatest way to do spiritual warfare is evaluate what's taking place in your mind and in your thought patterns and make sure you are pulling down arguments and lofty opinions that this world is offering you that are actually contrary to what God's Word says. Listen, I'm, I run into Christians all the time right now that they've got arguments about why the Bible isn't as good as it, as it used to be. And maybe I heard one the other day in an argument that, that a, a gentleman said that, uh, that you know, if, if, if Paul and Peter and these guys and even Jesus was to show up today, they would write something differently than they wrote those 2,000 years ago. See, and, this, and this, these are people that claim to be Christians. You have to understand, though, that Jesus' view, if we're following Jesus... 
He said that all Scripture in God's Word was essentially flawless. He said not one jot or tittle, whatever in the world that is. It's a little mark on a letter. He said not one of them will pass away until all of these things are fulfilled. He viewed Holy Scripture as perfect and flawless, purified. That it was, it, it, you could not move away from the truth of it. Now, obviously, those things have to fit within their context. But when you see an attack on the Word of God, you're seeing something that is ultimately going to lead to your destruction. And the Bible says that many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. But a stronghold is set up. See, he says that we're to take every thought captive to obey Christ. So how many of you have even... You've even actually like tried to evaluate your thoughts. You ever done that? Because the majority of people, what they think is that all thoughts, every thought that comes through your mind is your own thought. Can I tell you that this world and the demonic and the spiritual powers of the air are seeking to gain advantage over you and they begin by coming at your thought processes. They want to implant a thought. They want to implant an idea. Every thought that comes into your mind is not your own. They often originate from other sources. Matter of fact, most of the thoughts that are going through your mind right now, some of you I know you think about deer meat and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But the rest of you, a lot of you, your thoughts are being formed right now by the words that are coming out of my mouth. I'm influencing your thoughts right now. Your thoughts are influenced, on, honestly, a lot of times by external forces and you have to do the work of discipleship, of renewing your mind by taking thoughts captive that do not line up with what God says. And you got to take those thoughts captive and isolate those things and say, that's not God and replace it with what God says. That is the work of spiritual warfare. But when we do not do that, a thought leads to a mindset and a pattern of behavior and a, and a cycle of behavior. And it becomes a stronghold in our life. Let me give you a definition of a stronghold. A stronghold is a mindset, a value system or a thought process that doesn't allow you to maximize your potential for Jesus Christ in his glory. It's a mindset, a value system, or a thought process that keeps you from maximizing your potential for Jesus Christ in his glory. And what happens when strongholds get set up in our mind? It could be about what we think about God, what we think about ourselves, or even what we think about others, what we think about the church of Jesus Christ. We get these mindsets locked in that are falsehoods, that are lies, but actually we embrace them as, as truth and it begins to affect our behavior. And functionally what we do is we become unbelieving believers. We say we believe in Jesus, but we live over here in a place of weakness and ultimately we live in a place where we're just kept in bondage and in fear and we're not moving and advancing the kingdom forward because we're allowing our mindset to keep us from moving forward with God. How many of y'all you ever seen that movie Inception? Anybody? You ever seen it? All right. Well, you got two. Y'all are, are good this morning. Y'all on top of it. Um, the idea of this movie is that if they can simply get in a person's dreams and plant one idea, one thought that they would embrace as their own and embrace it as truth, that it would literally shift and shape the course of their lives and ultimately what happens across the globe even. Do you know that Satan believes in that same line of reasoning? He believes that if he can plant one idea, one thought, that at its inception, it can take root in your mind and form patterns of thought and patterns of behavior until he has control of your life ultimately. One thought about the character of God. One thought 
about yourself and how you view yourself and how you see yourself. And these thought patterns come in and the enemy uses these in order to program us to live in unbelief and live in in patterns of behavior that are contrary to the truth of God. And it becomes a fortified castle. That's what a stronghold is. A stronghold was literally a fortified castle that had one of them moats around it, probably with alligators in it. You know what I'm talking about? And they'd have a drawbridge that went down. So if they lifted that thing up, you would have to go across an alligator infested moat just to get into this castle and you'd probably get made up. And what Satan wants to do is have a mindset to keep you locked into who you are and God locked out from coming into your life. He's looking to do that. And for many of us in different areas, maybe he's not got every room in the castle locked up, but there are some rooms in our life where we are locked up. Maybe we were hurt. Maybe we were abused. Maybe we had a bad experience at church. Maybe we got addicted to something that we've just sort of swept under the rug and we hide it from everybody else. But in the secret place, we know this is going on in our life and it kind of shapes the way that we think about ourselves because we're living under shame and disgrace. And and all of these things are piling up in our lives in a hidden place. And we've got this fortified castle built up where we're living in bondage and unbelief. And God's not able to move in our lives the way that he wants to. But yet we can still come to church, obviously, and we can check the box, feel pretty good outwardly, but internally something is going on that God is saying, I need to get to the root of this issue. David Wilkerson addresses it. He's the guy who actually started Teen Challenge, you know, where where Forrest works at Chad's Hope. He's passed away uh, several years back. But he made this statement. He made this statement and he said that most of us think of strongholds as bondages or sexual trespasses, Drug addictions or alcoholism, outward sins we put on the top of our worst sins list. But Paul is referring here to something much worse than our human measuring of sins. A stronghold is holding firmly to an argument. A stronghold is an accusation planted firmly in your mind by Satan to establish lies, falsehoods, and misconceptions, especially about the character of God. And like I said, these misconceptions, these falsehoods about the character of God, I counseled someone just this week that had lost their child to a drug overdose. And there are lies that are coming at her mind at a constant rate of the goodness of God because she was praying and she was believing. And there's just a barrage of thoughts and attacks uh, uh, mentally against her mind. And rightfully so, because here's the thing, folks, this world is not easy. If he had said if he had said that hey, hey, the weapons, he uses the language, the weapons of our warfare. We are in a spiritual battle day in and day out. It's not a simple thing. You can't just lightly tread through life and expect to overcome. You have to gird up your loins, as the King James Version says. you got to get serious and intentional in your mind and say, I'm ready to do war with the enemy who is going to come against my mind. And you've got to get that mindset in you because it begins at a very young age for many people with abuse, with neglect, with abandonment. People have father issues. They get thoughts in their mind where they say within themselves, I'm no good. I'm not worthy to be used by God. Nobody cares. I can't do anything right. Maybe even I'm unlovable. And those thoughts and those feelings actually lead to a void in your life where you seek to fill them through sexual sin, through addictions, through violence and anger that you are lifting out and and just allowing to to be produced in your life because now you're becoming enslaved to those things because you've got a wrong mindset and God is saying, I need to change your mind about some things. I need to pull down and destroy some strongholds in your life. Amen. 
Now, if you look, I want to give you this story about this guy named Gideon. In the book of Judges, the book of Judges is comparable to the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Judges is like the Old Testament Corinthians because these guys are wilding out at a constant rate. They are in a cycle of behavior that when they begin, God gives them commandments. He's saying, you're going to go into this promised land. It's going to flow with milk and honey. You're going to be blessed and everything is going to go good. But they would take about two steps forward and they would take about a hundred steps back every time because they would disobey the Lord. They would move back into their own crazy thought patterns. They would worship other gods and then they would become enslaved because they're worshiping these other gods. And in, in chapter 21, verse 25, if you'll notice, God is speaking to them at the beginning of the book. Of Judges, about midway through the book of Judges, God's voice stops. He has to start sending other people to speak to him. He's not speaking to them directly anymore. And by the end of the book of Judges, because they will not quit that cycle of behavior, God has essentially removed himself from the situation. And in verse 25, it says, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is the statement of our culture and our generation. Everyone does. Matter of fact, that is the mantra of secularism, which is the current religion of America. Whether you won't believe it or not, America is not Christian. America is secular, and they believe in a secular religion, and this is the mantra. Everyone does what was right in their own eyes. You decide for yourself what is truth. You decide what's good. You decide what, what is evil. And so they begin to enter into this constant cycle of habitual behavior. Many of you in here this morning... You, you have cycles of behavior. You try to break, you try to stop, you try to quit, but you always go back into it. You go back into it, you go back into it. And this is where a stronghold lies. And at the root of that is a thought pattern. At the root of that is a lie that's been planted into your mind that makes you think somehow this activity, this behavior is going to bring you some kind of joy. It's going to bring you something that only God can actually bring. Now, again, when we have strongholds, it doesn't mean that we're not saved. Just means we got some soul issues that need to be cleaned up. Amen. And so in the book of Judges, they're rejecting God's teaching, they're following their own lofty opinions. And God is giving them over, like we taught in the Sermon on the Wrath of God. When they choose to reject God's truth, He hands them over to their enemies. And the enemies begin to have control over them. But in chapter 2, He warns them in the beginning, in verse 2 and 3, He says, You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but you shall tear down their altars. Their altars are a place of false worship, something that you put in place of God in your life. He says, you got to tear those down. He said, but you've not obeyed my voice. In verse 3 it says, and they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods will be a snare to you. In verse 10, because they would not obey his voice, it comes to this place. And this is a scary verse. In verse 10, it says, A generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Can I tell you something, folks? That so many children in America, if you look at the Barna studies and, and all of the stats, that children and youth are actually moving further away from God. But a big part of the reason that they're moving further away from God is because their parents went to church all of their lives and maybe even made them go to church, but see their external behavior in their church attendance was different than their day-to-day -day behavior because they were unwilling to deal with the strongholds that were in their life. 
And their children looked at their parents and said, this isn't real. Christianity's not real. Jesus is not real. It does not work. I think I will turn from God. And an entire generation grew up who did not know the Lord, nor did they know the work which he had done for Israel. I'm telling you, folks, I, we got about probably 50 to 75 kids over there on a week, and we keep pumping them out one right after another. Bless the Lord. Amen. But can I tell you this? My goal and my prayer has been, God, I want to raise up a generation and a group of young people who know God more deeply than I ever knew God. That they can grow up and say, you know what? I remember one, I remember one Sunday when we had somebody that came in that was on their deathbed that was sick and we laid hands on them and prayed for them and they were healed. And the work of God was revealed in our midst and we know that God lives because we've seen God move in our midst. I'm not content with a generation who says we're going to come to church and we're going to check the box, but at the end of the day, we ain't going to deal with our stuff. Now, I want a church that says we're going to deal with it all, we're going to lay it out, and we're going to be so filled with the Spirit that our children cannot help but acknowledge there is a God that lives in this place. There's a God in our house. There's a God when we show up at church. You can feel His presence when we sing. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. But see, Satan is constantly working in all of us. He was working in you this week to keep you from coming here unprepared. And he'd been convincing so many people that deer hunting is far more important than church. Amen. And I ain't going to be mean. I'm not that kind of guy. I hope everybody kills one this morning. Bless the Lord. But my point being is he works in a variety of different ways. Forget that. Think about all the little subtle ways that he's tried to keep you down this week, discourage you. All the thoughts that have come into your mind. And see, we get stuck in this area where we're living out our own philosophy of life and in our frustration, in our lust, in our addiction, whatever it may be. And all of these things coming up over and over again are revealing a stronghold in our life. But number one, I want to tell you this. In order to break free from our strongholds, we must have an encounter with God. It's not enough that we know about God. It's not even enough that we know Scripture. We need an encounter with a living God, with the presence of God. What set me free? I read the Bible for a year and barely, and I was changing, but I was not free. What sets a man free or a woman free? Jesus said it like this. He said, if you continue in my word... You will know the truth, and that truth will make you free. And that truth is an encounter with a living person whose name is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. The Word of God leads you to an encounter with a living person who is spirit, who sets you free. And He brings this encounter into our lives, but here's what it says in Judges 6, verse 1 through 4. We're going to talk a little bit about Gideon, but it says, Then the children of Israel, once again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Once again, we see that process of you going against God, God handing you over to what you desire. You want to serve the gods of Midian? Go ahead and do it. And that's what he would do. He would lift his hand and allow them to do that. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, matter of fact, they, they would plant seed in order to grow and harvest wheat and have food. It says the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth 
as far as Gaza. So they would just wait for the Israelites to sow seed to plant a harvest. And when the harvest come up, they would just go out and reap that harvest and steal their food for them. So basically they're starving, they're enslaved, and they're producing no fruit, which is exactly what a stronghold does in our life. You can be a Christian and produce absolutely no fruit for God. And he said, and leaves no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. And so they're delivered into the hands of the Midianites, and they are destroying everything. And this is exactly what strongholds do. But I love this because here's the thing. when God, God is always interested in raising somebody, anybody who's willing. A church, an individual, he wants somebody in each circumstance throughout the book of Judges. He's looking to get in the mind to plant a seed that goes against the seed of the enemy. To say, you're different. You can do this. You can bring deliverance to these people. And so he shows up on this guy, but it's very interesting how he shows up when Gideon is in this position. It says in chapter 6, verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, notice this. The angel of the Lord comes, and he just comes up and chills under a terebinth tree. He ain't even doing nothing. He's just like, I'm going to hang out. I'm going to watch this dude for a minute. I think sometimes the Lord just shows up. You don't even know he's there. He's just hanging out, just watching. He's like, I'm going to see what this dude's about. I'm going to see what he's doing. I'm going to look into this thing. And this is actually what is called... Uh, in, in theology, a Christophany. This is the pre-incarnate Christ showing up to deal with Gideon. We had a bunch of kids from Paces Creek come down here the other day, and they were talking about a story out of the book of Joshua, and the angel of the, of the, the, the captain of the host of the armies of the Lord was a part of the story, and we do a Q&A at the end, and, 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 and Scotty asked the question about who was that that, the, that they met at? Who was the captain of the Lord's host? And it says the angel of the Lord, and this girl shouted out, she said, Jesus! he said, you're absolutely right, it was Jesus. That's deep theology right there you're teaching kids, right? Because they, they, the answer was the angel of the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, is this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus Christ. Before he comes in the, in the flesh, he shows up and he's sitting under the terebinth tree, waiting on Gideon to move and waiting to see what he's going to do. And he's watching him functioning in a stronghold. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. I don't know. But about you, but if I had some wheat, I probably wouldn't thresh it in a wine press. I would probably be, you know, juicing my wine in a wine press. But here's what he's doing, and, he, and he's doing it for a very specific reason. It says that he's doing it to hide from the Midianites. Now put that first picture up here. He should have been threshing the wheat right out here in the open, just like that. That way you can sift the wheat, you throw it up in the air, and it will remove the actual wheat from the chaff, and you can have good wheat there, and the wind will blow it away, and you can... Clear everything out. But instead, he chooses to do this. He moves out in the open, down into a place. Put that next photo up. Down into this little hole right here in this wine press so that he can hide from the Midianites. Can I tell you that you cannot produce any fruit in hiddenness and isolation? You have to come out from the den. You have to come out from the cave you have to walk in the light even as God is in the light. I heard one guy say the other day, I went and preached at a church and he said, you know what I learned early on that anything that I've got to hide probably isn't God. 
But what happens is, is we move into this place where we try to hide all these things to keep them back from the Lord. We compartmentalize our lives. We say, Lord, I give you a little bit of space, but don't come too deep in. Don't come into the very dark parts of my life. I would like to keep those things hidden. And ultimately, maybe even God is calling some of you into ministry, but yet you're saying, no, I don't know. It's gonna, I don't want people to see me. I don't want to be out. I don't want to, I don't want to go into this place. And out of fear, you're in a place of hiding where you're not stepping into what God is calling you and you start to function in dysfunction. He's doing something that the Lord never told him to do, that the Lord would have never taught him. He's actually functioning in a dysfunction. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. Have you ever done something that you do for so long that it just becomes normal, but to the rest of the world it's crazy? Anybody ever done anything like that? I know I've done a few things like that. I was, uh, I remember one time it had a lasting impact on me. Anybody ever seen that show Hoarders? You know, Sheb and I, we threw away like 16,000 pounds of junk this week. And, you know, every time you throw something away, people are like, oh, don't, don't throw that away. I'm like, this has got mold on it. Black mold. People are dying in that room. Oh, don't throw that away, you know. But people are hoarders, aren't they? I mean, I know half of y'all, you're hoarders. You, you keep stuff and, and, and that you don't need. And we threw a bunch of stuff away, but there, you know, I remember watching that show Hoarders one time, and there was one guy, he had thousands of rats in his home to the degree that it had moved him out of his house because he said when he went to sleep at night, them rats would try to lick the moisture on his eyeballs. But he loved these rats so much that he would not do anything about it. So he moved out into the garage that's separate from his house and he would go back over every morning and sit down among his rats and feed them and they would just come in on him by the drove, son. And when they come in to tell him, buddy, you're going to have to do something about this. This is not good. He begins to weep and cry and mourn because that had become normal for him. He was functioning in dysfunction. Same way with a cat lady. I mean, there was a woman who had like a hundred cats in her home. You could smell the cat urine. People would smell it whenever they just started to walk up on the pavement. And it's a strange thing in your life when all of a sudden cat urine starts to smell like perfume. You know what I'm talking about. When all of a sudden these things in your life that you know are not normal, you're just embracing as a normal type of behavior and you're allowing it into your life and we start to function and dysfunction. But here's the good news is every single one of us at some point do this. In our families, we have some dysfunction, don't we? We've had some things go wrong. Can I tell you this, though? I want you to understand that, see, that, that, those cats and those rats did not stop people from going in and trying to help these people. They went in, and even more so, how much more, God, when you are in the middle of your stronghold, you got no intentions of getting out of it, you just want to stay locked up, God starts moving toward you in the middle of your stronghold. To say, I want to bring you out of this. I've got so much more for you. You have no idea. And he's just sitting here under the terebinth tree, watching him function in a dysfunction, saying, you know what? i got so much more for this dude. If he would just listen to what I've got to say, I can bring him out of that wine press. He can thresh wheat out in the open. He can be fruitful. But not only that, I'm going to raise him up and make him a deliverer. So he's going to set the people of Israel free. Let me tell you something. God has something exactly the same for you, and he is coming after you in the middle of your stronghold. 
He ain't waiting on you to get out because so many people, they come and we say this over and over and over again, but it's something that needs to be heard over and over and over again. You think you need to get your life together before you draw near to God. That is the opposite. You draw near to God in order to get your life together. Quit waiting on you to fix something. You will never fix anything in your own strength. You need the Lord God to show up in his power and set you free from some strongholds and give you a new mindset, but you ain't going to do it while you're hiding down in a cave. You got to come out. You got to expose yourself to the Lord. Let him see. He already sees it. But see, our mess doesn't surprise God. He is omniscient. He's all-knowing. I thought about that. You ever thought about being omniscient? Like the Lord knows all my thoughts. He knows every action. And we try to hide stuff, which is hilarious. And here's the thing. He knows all my thoughts. I had thoughts this week, you know what I'm talking about, that I'm not proud of. You did too, I bet. But yet the Lord sees all that, all the sin of the world, and yet He still moves toward us. Still moves toward us in His love. In Judges 6, 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So now the angel of the Lord, Christ pre-incarnate, under the terebinth tree, who was cloaked and hiding himself, is now revealing himself. You know, there's times when the Lord is right there, but we just don't see him because we're so wrapped up in our own stuff and in our own stronghold that our eyes are veiled. But then all of a sudden the Lord chooses to reveal himself and he removes his cloak, so to speak, reveals himself to us. And then when he says something to Gideon, the very first word out of his mouth is the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now that that phrase, mighty man of valor, is only used in the Bible even a few times. And each time that it's used, it's used in reference to a man who is a beast of a warrior. Joab, the mighty men of David. Dudes that kill lions, guys that kill giants. Men that will go say, we got five dudes and there's an army of 10,000. And they're like, let's go. Let's head straight into that thing. Those are the guys that we're talking about that are labeled this. He is a chump. He's hiding down in a wine press. And God says, you're a mighty man of valor. He calls him beyond where he currently is. An encounter with God, it begins, yes, by God showing up and showing you where you are in your sin in order to save you. But what if God only dealt with our sin whenever we had an encounter with Him? See, God doesn't just come up and say, look, you're sinful, you need a Savior. He says, no, you are sinful, you need a Savior, but you have no idea what you can actually be when I live in you. I'm calling you beyond where you currently are. There's more to you than what you are currently experiencing. But see, we are hidden, we're in shame, and we think that the voice of the enemy is often the voice of God. We think that voice of shame, it says, see, you ought to be hiding down there. You ain't worth nothing. You're the least in all of your family, and your family is the least in all of Israel. God ain't going to use you to do nothing. And we think that's the voice of God. But that is the voice of the enemy trying to plant a thought that will lead into a stronghold. And see, when God shows up, He doesn't just focus on our sins only because it's not just about what you're to turn from, it's about what you are to turn to. And secondly, we must allow God to define who we are in Christ. See, he, He's got a definition of Himself. You've probably got a definition of yourself, right? I was, uh, I was in a small group this week, one of my small groups, and and I said something out of my mouth. I said, Regina, you remember? I said, I said, you know what? I'm borderline near worthless. I said that out of my mouth. And, and Regina rebuked me. Thank God for good Christian brothers and sisters. Amen. I, you, sometimes you need somebody to rebuke you when you're saying dumb stuff. 
And I said, you know what? I'm borderline worthless. And she said, oh, no, uh uh-uh, I don't want want to hear that. And sometimes, let me tell you something. I believe that was the Holy Spirit just trying to put me in check because I thought about it after she said it. I took it home and I was like, you know what? I, 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 I know I'm just joking, but I shouldn't even joke about something like that. That's not what God says about me. That's not what God thinks about me. I have to allow who God says I am to become my own definition of me. And you all got definitions of you where you just name yourself, you label yourself, you say I'm this on the Enneagram, my personality is like this, or whatever you think. Let me tell you something, none of that defines who you are. Christ defines who you are, and we have to allow Him to do that. And so He has this encounter, and I love it because He's coming up on Gideon to pick Gideon to become the deliverer. And God is really one of the worst pickers ever. You know what I'm saying? Like, God picked me, y'all. Amen. I know some dudes that used to go play basketball over in London at 5 a.m. And it's a goofy time to go. I told them it was sinful, but they did it anyway. I mean, playing ball at 5 a.m. is rough, y'all. I went a couple of times. And every time somebody would pick, I don't know if Zach Kemp's in here. He may be over in a kid's church. Everybody pick Zach Kemp first pick. You know why? The man is a beast on the boards. I'm talking about he's a mighty man of valor on the boards. Like, he got, when you play a pickup game to 24 by 4, this man is going to get 57 rebounds. And, he, and not only that, he's going to get the rebound and be unselfish and dish it back to you. And, you, yeah, I'm take another shot. And then, and then he's going to get that board and dish it back to you again. So everybody picks him first. When we pick, we know how, who to pick because we want somebody like Zach Kemp on our team. But see, when God shows up, he's over here picking the short dude that ain't going to get no rebounds that shoots and don't even hit the backboard. And he says, I'm going to pick that guy, and then I'm going to teach him who he is, and then I'm going to equip him and train him and use him so that when he defeats y'all, I'm going to get all the glory for it. God calls the things that are not the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So if you're in here thinking, man, I'm a piece of trash, I'm borderline worthless, good news, God's going to pick you most likely. And he's going to raise you up, he's going to equip you, and then he's going to use you and he's going to say, see, y'all knew that it couldn't have been anything other than me moving in their lives. He picks this Gideon, he moves him, and he picks him, and Gideon said to him in verse 13, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You ever ask that question? Lord, if you're with me, why has this happened? Why is this happening? Man, people ask that question all the time. And where are his miracles? Another question that we ask. You know, we read all this stuff about miracles. That stuff has passed. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. I mean, there's, where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And so Gideon's not even excited when he gets picked. You ever get picked by God and you ain't even excited about it? I know people that get picked. God calls them in the ministry. They, I mean, I remember when I got called in the ministry, I wallowed around on the floor pulling my hair out for a few weeks. I didn't like it. I wasn't pumped about it. You don't get excited when God starts to move you into a calling because guess what? It's going to be hard. It's going to be beyond your capability. You ain't going to have the skill set to do it, and that's how you know it's God. You can't do it. You have to yield to Him. You have to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit doing something in you that only He he can do because you can't get set free from your strongholds. You can't preach the gospel. You can't win your lost family. Only the Holy Spirit through you can do such a thing. 
And so when he shows up, he does two things. A, he vents his unbelief. He said, Lord, if you're with us, then why is all this happening to us? And two, all these miracles, I've heard stories about where they at. So you got to vent your unbelief. God isn't worried about what you really feel deep down. It don't scare him. He already knows it's in your heart. I counsel people all the time, and they think, they think that they've got to come to me after the greatest tragedies of their life and be and put on like a religious, false, you know what, the Lord's good. Now, I'll be honest with me. You know you don't feel like right now the Lord's good. Just go ahead and be honest. That's the second thing. You have to be... The problem with Christians is that, honestly, a lot of times they're just not real. They come in and be like... How you doing, bro? Oh, we're doing, we are blessed. And you know what? Thank God that you are blessed. But there are moments in time when you don't feel so blessed. And when you don't feel so blessed, it's much better to be truthful and honest and deal with your stuff on the inside because you can put on out a, rel- a religious false self on the outside and inwardly be dying inside. And you got to be willing to take that false self off and sometimes just vent your unbelief and say, you know what, God, you let me down. I don't know why this happened. We lost somebody. We've been praying for years and, and you let this happen. And you've got to vent that stuff in order for God to come in and bring some healing so he can speak new life and new truth into your heart. But if you keep that closed off without actually dealing with the real stuff, it's going to sit there and linger in your heart and become a stronghold where you doubt God and you live in a constant cycle of unbelief. I know some of y'all, you went through some loss, but that don't mean God's done. That don't mean God's done doing miracles just because you didn't get the miracle you prayed for. Just because you didn't get the miracle you prayed for doesn't mean you can move into a cave and say, I don't know if I can trust God anymore. No, God still has intentions of using you to bring miracles into other people's lives. But see, we got to vent our unbelief. we got to be honest with God and deal with this. And see, an encounter with God is not always hallelujahs. I thank God that it is, but sometimes it is not. In Judges 6, verse 14 through 16, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, after he gives all of his excuses, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So the Lord then, now now see you have full revelation. He takes the full cloak off. He shows up as an angel of the Lord cloaked and unseen. Then he reveals himself and begins to speak to him. And then he shows up as the Lord himself, Yahweh in the Hebrew scriptures and reveals himself as the Lord and begins to speak directly to him. Let me tell you something. Some of y'all, you're in the progressive revelation of God revealing himself to you. You've not seen all of him just yet. But as you grow, you're getting a greater revelation of not only who God is, but who He has created you to be in Christ. And He shows up and He says, you know what? Go in this might of yours. All your excuses and all your weaknesses are not enough to keep me from using you. How many of y'all you come up with excuses here today? I'm not ready. I need to be better prepared. You you come up with me. When the Lord called me into ministry, I barely knew the Bible, son. Can I tell you? That the Lord will use us when we are positionally 100% with God. Because you know what makes you right with God is not your works. What makes you right and right standing with God is the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When I got saved, I was 100% before God positionally righteous, forgiven, clean, washed in the presence of God. 
But guess what? Practically, I might have been at 5 or 10%. I have not yet reached glorification as much as you think I have. Amen. I know you think I'm perfect. I just ain't there yet. I hate to burst your bubble. But guess what? The Lord still chooses to use me every week. Even if I mess up, the Lord still chooses to use me. And because I'm imperfect, I can even come up and apologize and say, guess what? I missed that a little bit. Amen. Because we ain't perfect just yet. But see, God doesn't wait on us to get perfect before He uses us. He uses flawed vessels for His glory. And you got to understand that He is not saying all your excuses. You can say, well, I'm weak. I'm not talented. I can't sing. I can't preach. I can't do this. But God is saying none of those excuses matter. You need to step into the calling that I have upon your life. And you say, well, how will I do this? He says, I will be with you. And you need to have a theology where you understand that this Christian life that we live is not by us being better. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, doing what we cannot do. And just to be honest with you, church, we need to learn how to yield to Him just a little bit more than we do. We need to learn to be led by Him just a little bit more than we are. And in verse 22, it says, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace, or what we say, Jehovah Shalom. And to this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abizrites. And so he says, he gets to this place and he says, don't fear. You shall not die. Peace be with you. And he called that place, the Lord is peace. Because when you have a real encounter with God, a lot of times it'll be unsettling. You don't know if things are going to go good or not at this point. But what God will come to do is always speak peace into your heart. Isaiah 26.3, it says that, that those who think upon the Lord, who fix their mind upon the Lord, He will keep him in perfect peace. The Bible says that if we come and bring all of our anxious thoughts to Him with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known unto God, then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace that only God can give in the midst of the circumstances where you begin to doubt, where you begin to wonder, where you begin to question. But what you need to understand, here's my last point, is we must make a radical commitment to destroy our strongholds. You're not going to destroy strongholds. I told somebody the other day, like, nobody has to get up and say, you know what? I mean, I think I should, I need to take some time out of my day to really fuel my addiction. You know, I need to be intentional about that. I need to, you know what? I mean, you know, I really got to make a commitment to change my life. I, I, need to, I need to make sure that I look upon somebody with lust here this week. Nobody does that, do they? Because these are the things that come natural through our flesh. You know what? I should probably set some time aside to have a radical fit of rage this week. Nobody does that. It shows up because we have something called flesh and the sinful nature. The only way we are transformed is by being intentional in the opposite direction. I got to get in the Word of God. I've got to resist those temptations. I've got to fight. If I've got to pray and fast and spend some time alone with the Lord, I've got to be intentional about reversing those mindsets or otherwise they will take full control of me. Our devotion to the Lord is so essential because without it, we will go the way of the world. We will go the pattern of the world without it. And we have to make a radical commitment to destroy our strongholds. Verse 25, it says, And that night the Lord said to him, 
take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Now see, here's the thing. God is the only one that can do the miracle in your life, but He calls you to participate. He's the only one that's going to do the miracle in your life, but He calls you and commands you to participate. He's saying, Gideon, you've got to go up there where they have built strongholds to these false gods that has become the epicenter of their worship, where all their minds, where all their thoughts are fixed. They had Baal worship on one side, Asherah worship on the other side. Because basically Asherah was the goddess of fertility and she would plant the seed and Baal, he would rain water down from heaven in order to produce the crop and they worshiped them thinking that that was going to bring their fruit. He says, you've got to go tear down that false line of reasoning. And he says, you've got to tear it down. You've got to cut it down at its source. And then he says, once you've torn down that strong, that, 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 that idol in that area, on top of that stronghold, I want you to build an altar for the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is that area of your life where you're really struggling, that area where you know you've got a mental stronghold and you can't change it, you need to start tearing that down. And the only way that you're going to tear it down is by building an altar for the Lord right in the middle of it. Tell you what, when I was addicted to drugs and pornography and every other thing that, that had such a grip in my life, the way that I got out of it was by taking all of that stuff with me into the altar of God, kneeling before Him in prayer, bringing Him my body as a living sacrifice and beginning to worship Him right in the middle of it. And the more I worship God, the more that thing got cut away at its root. And it began to fall and it began to crumble and it began to come down in my life. The question is, what are your false altars of worship? What have you put in place of God? What is consuming your time? What is consuming your thought life? What has brought it into a place where you're just like getting it? Like, I can't do nothing for God. I'm over here dealing with this mess right now. I got stuff built up in my life I don't even know how to get rid of. I got stuff where I was abused. My family has got issues that pass from generation to generation. You have no idea, Clay, the loss that I've experienced. And you got all these excuses as to why God cannot invade your circumstances. Heal your life. Heal your heart. Renew your soul. Change your mind and fix you up and strengthen you to do what He's called you to do. You've got to cut that stuff down. And build a new stronghold. And let me tell you something. The Bible talks about one of the things that we talked about in our small group was meditation. Because your mind has got to become a fortified castle. Not from which the devil can operate and use you, but from which God can operate and use you. By the Word of God and meditation in His Word, you can make your mind such a fortified castle that when lies and thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God come against that, they are ultimately reflected and shielded off because you know the truth, you are grounded and rooted in that truth, and you know your identity in Christ. And you've got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What is your true identity in Christ? I was sitting here this morning and I just thought, you know what, if I was going to sit here and pray out my true identity in Christ, I wrote a few things down. And I wrote down, greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. 
I have peace with God and peace that only Jesus can give. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am washed in the blood. I am sanctified. I am chosen. I am accepted. And I am His beloved. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Matter of fact, I have the mind of Christ. I'm a new creation. Old things, what I used to be, has now passed away. And all things are new and all things are of God. I am actually seated right now in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And no weapon that the enemy forms against me or my family or my church will prosper. I am born again and I have eternal life. I've got the security that when I die in this body, Jesus is going to raise me from the dead to live forever. And I am complete right now. I don't need another thing. And I'm secure in Christ Jesus. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Imagine all of those thoughts just beginning to form a fortress brick by brick so that all the lies of this world that come against you, they just cannot penetrate that stronghold that you have set up for God. And so lastly, they wake up the next morning and they notice that basically He has taken those weapons. Those are the weapons of your warfare. Prayer, the Word of God, fasting if need be, the worship of God, renewing your mind according to God's Word. When you use those weapons and you take thoughts captive and you tear down imaginations and all of these things and you're cutting at the root of that stronghold, He tears them down. They wake up the next morning. They notice that Baal and Asherah is cut down. They said, who did this? They said, Gideon did this. They said, bring him out. We're going to kill that boy. And Gideon's dad stepped out and said, you know what? If y'all worship Baal and Asherah and they're such bad outfits, let Baal plead for himself. He said, if he's a God, let him plead for himself. And so they got scared at this point because they saw confidence rising up in young Gideon and his father because these men that were supposed to be the lowliest in all of Israel now have confidence in the Lord because they've cut down their stronghold. And then all of a sudden, I love what it says because they get scared and they start to encamp round about. They're preparing for war. But you know what the Bible says? It doesn't say nothing about them preparing for war at this point. In Judges 6, 34, I love this verse. It says, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpets and the Bezrites were called out to follow him. Do you know that if you read that in the Hebrew language, it actually says, and the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. In other words, the Spirit of the living God put Gideon on like a jumpsuit. I don't know about you, but I'd just soon come in here and Clay not even show up on a Sunday morning. I'd like for the Spirit of the Lord just to put me on like a jumpsuit and start speaking through me and using me. Wouldn't you like to go home and there be moments when you need to deal with your children and the Spirit of the Lord just puts you on like a jumpsuit to know exactly what to say, to know exactly how to deal with them when you go to, to work and you're dealing with people that are crazy and you get frustrated that the Spirit of the Lord just puts you on like a jumpsuit. And you speak and you call, and, and when you open your mouth at that point, when you blow the trumpet, it causes people to gather around you. And you know what? He had thousands of men gathered around him, but God said, you got too many. I still ain't going ain't to get glory with that many people. He cut it down to 300 men. He said, I can take out this whole army with just 300 men. 300 men who trust in me, 300 who believe in me. And they went out against the Midianites and they won the battle. When you are committed to pulling down your strongholds, you're going to win the battle and you're going to lead others into victory. And for many of you, there's some doors in your life probably you've not opened in a while. 
And what you got to ask yourself is, are you willing at this point to say, Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come into this den, into this cave, into this stronghold where I've been hiding to deal with some of my issues. And some of you need salvation, and it's time for you to turn to the Lord. You're not just turning from sin, but you're turning to the Lord to become what He is calling you to be. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. If you're here this morning and the first step is just the simple fact that you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, it's going to be between me and you and God right here just for just a minute. But you know this is the moment. I need, I need to repent. I need to turn from the, some of the things that I'm doing. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to accept Him as my Lord and Savior. I need to follow Him today. I need that to happen today. Would you raise your hand up just where I can see it so that I can pray for you? Anybody in here? Anybody in here? I see two. Anybody else? Anybody else? For the rest of you, I just want you to take a moment right here with God. And I want you to begin to deal with whatever it is that the Lord's saying. I need to open that door. I need to deal with some of that darkness right there because there's a stronghold that is keeping you from becoming all that I've called you to be. There's so much more that I've got for you, but you've let this thought, you've let this idea about yourself You've let your past, something that's happened, keep you from moving forward in me. And right now, the Lord just wants to deal with that. So, Lord, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus that, Holy Spirit, you would invade every heart. God, where there's strongholds, where there's hang-ups, pour your love in right now, Holy Spirit. God, break every bondage. Break every chain. Set people free this morning. God, begin to do a work in hearts that only you can do because, Lord, you have called these men and women mighty men and women of valor. God, you've got a calling upon their life. They are your children, your sons, and your daughters. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to move just to set people free in Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet right now. We're going to begin to respond to the Lord. And I'm going to leave this altar open. And I, I want to pray for people this morning because if you are willing to say, you know what, I need prayer. No matter what it is, you're dealing with a sickness. A lot of times people say, well, I can't go to the altar because he's talking about strongholds. And if I go up, they're going to think I'm over here addicted to this and this and this. Now, if you're just a normal human being, you've got a little bit of a struggle, it's fine for you to come too. Amen. Like you can come up and pray to the Lord. That's what an altar is. It is a place where we kneel before God to say, God, you are the object of my worship and I don't care who sees it. I don't care who knows it. I'm tearing everything down in my life to say that you are Lord and I'm submitting my life to you. So where you're at, in your seat, whatever, I want you to respond to the Lord. I, I want to pray for the two that raised their hands if they would come forward here in just a minute. And anybody else, I just as we worship, I just want whoever will to come and pray to the Lord. Just learn to actively respond to what God is doing in your heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus.